calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. everybody and welcome to this spoiler review for Andor from the Geek Buddies! <gasps> hey! Hey! On program! Uh, we're going to talk about episode 10 here, One Way Out, uh, all from Andor. So much fun to get into. Here I am, the outlaw John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. Mike? I am Michael Vogel, writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. Sure. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor, and there is only one way out. <laughs> there is only one way out. What an incredible episode here. We're going to break it all down. Episode 10. Uh, this is a spoiler review, so this is your final warning. We are going to break everything down and talk about everything that happened in this episode, which was the end of the uh, prison uh, um, series or the end of the prison trilogy before we get into the two-episode finale coming up in episodes 11 and 12. Um, and big shout out to Carbon Health who powers and sponsors us here on the Geek Buddies. Head over to carbonhealth.com if you have any healthcare questions, concerns, or needs, or download their app to have a doc in your pocket today. Um, Mike, I'll go to you first. Episode 10. We have gotten 10 episodes into this series yet. It's been pretty incredible every single episode. So, talk to me, at least in my opinion, what is your uh, overall thoughts on episode 10? It just really just keeps building. I mean, you know, like those first three episodes that they released, the whole Ferrex arc. You kind of built to this big battle in Ferrix and like, you know, the people of Ferrix sort of all looking out for each other and just everything that happened there. And you're like, oh, this is really intense. And then you got to the Aldani arc and you got you built to this like giant sort of heist, uh, them getting the Imperial credits, the whole thing, the escape. And you're like, fuck, that was great. And I feel like they've topped all of it with this. I mean, this is we always said like with Aldani, we're like with Ferrix, it was like it's the birth of the rebellion. And with Aldani, we're like, it's the birth of the rebellion. And then you get here and you're like, well, no, this, this is it, guys. <laughs> and we still have a two-part series season finale. Like, I, I I can't wait to see where they go because had this been the season finale, I would have been completely satisfied. Oh, it was yeah. absolutely amazing. Great point. Yeah. Shannon, thoughts on this overall? What we got with a prison breakout scene. We got uh, 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 Deidre Miro, um, the, uh, not finding out, but certainly uh, we got uh, one of her ISB officers, is working in cahoots with Luthen has been essentially a Donnie Brasco cahoots. in the ISB. Uh, and we have Bon Mothma essentially being asked to marry off her daughter uh, throughout this. And then Luthen giving this big speech about how he has sacrificed everything for the uh, rebellion. So what, what are your thoughts overall on episode 10 here? 
Well, first, uh, I am 100% on Luthen's side with everything he does. Oh, I'm purely saying this after, re- after reading some of your tweets. Here we go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just a fantastic, fantastic episode. As Vogel said, if this had been the season finale, it would have been satisfying and it would have made sense. It's like, okay, he's now seen, Cassian has now seen what links the Empire will go to to remain in control and this is the thing it's not going to be it's not going to be the manifesto it's not going to be anything else it's going to be this that is going to ultimately bring him to the rebel side um knowing that we have two more episodes maybe it will maybe it won't (laughs) maybe he's just like all right i'm out i'm good to go but just it, it it just demonstrates how much more resonance you get when you spend time with characters i mean you know the introduction of andy circus's uh kino like just such a great character such a great arc for that character and you know it's heartbreaking like a lot of these mm-hmm. guys that we've come to kind of broadly know uh and and care about like you see like in war this is what happens like it yeah. could be the guy next to you it could be you as we all know i'm loath to tell john roca that he's right Lothan, maybe? Uh, Really just hate doing it. But I do think, you know, we talked a lot about this with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And when we met those those early rebels in Obi-Wan Kenobi that were helping to move the Jedi around. And, you know, we we had like two lines with each of them. And then we had the whole escape uh, from the Inquisitor's uh, uh, base. And uh, we're kind of like, okay, don't really care. And you compare that to how we we felt with everybody on Aldani. And you compare that to how we feel at the end with Kino with Kino saying he doesn't know how to swim. And you really do see yeah. that spending that extra episode with each of them really getting to know the characters, it does make a really big difference. Yeah. I know good TV when I see it. All right. Anyway, yes, I agree. And you're right. And But, you know, to be fair to those series, some of them don't have that extra time. You know, the, with Falcon and Winter Soldier, it was that rumor that it was cut down from 10 to 6. And if we had seen 10 episodes of that, We'd have had way more time with everybody, and I think we would have gotten a way more satisfying series. With the wife. The Four episodes of John Walker's wife. Yeah, John heck, Walker's come wife. Come a, whole, a whole episode of her just sitting by that phone. John would have eaten it up. Yeah, the family come her family coming over and talking about John Walker. Why do they watch they watch Jeopardy? She that, knows like three of the answers. Exactly. Like it's gripping stuff. She discovers the you know the pictures of Valentina in his sock drawer. <laughs> There's all kinds of things you could explore. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, we're gonna break this down over storylines. So we're gonna take the Andor storyline first, then we're gonna get into the Mon Mothma storyline and then finish off with the Luthan storyline. There was a Ferrex scene, but it wasn't that much. We might weave it in as we talk about it. But let's start off here and I'll, and I'll do my best to com- compartmentalize because I know we want to get through all of it. But yeah, but we start off with Olaf. Olaf being carried out in the body bag across the floor of the work area. I imagine that's a message to all the workers. Cassian and Kino are arguing about Cassian's desire to, stay, to, to stage a breakout, a prison break here. He says it has to be tomorrow. Kino is resisting because, you know, Kino's still dealing with all of this and processing all this information. He's not ready to jump on board with Cassian just yet. But Cassian says they won't have a better chance as they move back into their cells. Everyone's asking about what happened on uh, level two, what happened with Olaf, what's the deal here? Cassian starts to explain a little bit, but then Kino shuts him down and he delivers the message to everybody. He he yells out that no one is getting out and he tells them to start figuring it out. We cut to the next morning. Kino says no more counting shifts. There's only one way out. That seems the name of the show or the episode. And he says to play it how you want and he is going to assume he is already dead and take it from there. No sense warning the night shift. Let's make it look good. We hear from the announcer that all sky bridge, tra- sky bridge transfers will be signed until further notice. Classic dictator stuff. Nobody talks amongst themselves so that information doesn't get passed and the, and the prisoners get restless. We see them working their shifts as the music cues build the tension. By the way, real quick, the music cues in this episode particularly were incredible. They've been incredible throughout the whole series. But this episode, they really went next level, in my opinion. Uh, they're eyeing the guards. The escape begins as Cassian moves to that panel, starts sawing um, that pipe open. Another prisoner moves into place. Kino keeps things moving on the floor. We cut to the guards getting a new man in. And as soon as the guards look in and see all the prisoners, the prisoners notice them looking in. As soon as the guards look away, they start to grab pieces of metal equipment here. The pipe breaks as we hear we're on program. Cassian walks out. The man is let in. We see a scuffle begin between two of the guys, a stage scuffle between two of the guys 
on table five, which is stretch the guards. All hell breaks loose. We see a bunch of uh, prisoners getting killed as they electrify the floor. The guards are shooting. Zal, one of the members on table five, gets killed, or Exal, I don't know how you say his name. Andor takes out two of the guards, eventually climbs up there. Uh, we cut to another floor as the water drips down. Cassian barks out orders as they move up floor by floor, section by section, uh, either killing off or sc- scaring the guards off and freeing everybody from the sections. Then they make it the control area with the announcer there, and Kino and Andor make them turn off the facility completely after shooting one of their guards that were there to show them that they mean business. By the way, the design of this room is fantastic. I would love to walk into a room like this. Then Kino gets on the mic, and Cassian tells him what to do. Kino is hesitant. He's not sure. And Cassian encourages him to talk to the prisoners to let them know what the situation is. Tells him, And then Kino tells him to stop working, take charge, and start climbing. And he grows in courage as he speaks, grows in courage as he's delivering this speech. Cassian tells him, you were able to command them to work, command them to break out, command them to do what they need to do. Uh, we find out that they were transferring people to other prisons. That's what they were afraid of, having that information get out. Kino tells them that there is one way out and tells them that if they fight half as hard as they've been working, then they will be home in no time. For some reason, they leave the dudes alive in the control room, and we see the prisoners running and yell. And as they yell, one way out or chant, one way out. The guards are cowering in a room, they, and we see them run out to the edge of the prison and essentially looking down off, almost like an oil rig, looking down on the water, they start to jump off. One guy jumps off and says, one way out, jumps out. And then that inspires everybody to start jumping out. Kino doesn't jump out. He's, he's kind of holding himself back. Cassian notices this and asks him why. And he says, I can't swim. Cassian doesn't hear him the first time, asks him again. And he says, I can't swim. And just as, as Cassian is about to maybe understand what Kino is saying, he is taken off the um, ledge there with everybody else who was jumping off, just caught up in the crowd. Um, and then that's the last we see of Kino. And we end, uh, we cut to Andor and Melchi running through some snowy field at night as the three moons look on from the planet. Uh, Michael, thoughts on this entire sequence or entire, sorry, storyline here throughout this episode with Kino uh, and with Cassian here as it leads to their breakout. I mean, it, it was from top to bottom. It was great. I think you did very nice. Very nice job, John. Um, you know what made, but like, as you were talking about it, you know what I mean? Like when you take the Andor arc and we've talked about this with Ferrix and some of the other stuff, like what actually happens is pretty straightforward. Yes, uh, yes. You know, like it's, it's, there was a lot of setup to things and there's a lot of character stuff, but once it all happens, it all just happens. Um, I think some things that are really, really interesting are, you know, we've seen this, we saw it with Aldani and now we're seeing it here on Narkina 5 where Cassian, who doesn't think that he wants to do anything except just lay low and survive. take what yeah. he can from the Empire and survive, is pretty damn good at this. Uh, they wouldn't have gotten off Aldani without him. And here he inspires everybody to like break free of the prison, which I think is really interesting because what his character arc has been thus far is to tell Bix and Marva and Luthen and, uh, and Nemec and everybody that they can't make a difference, that fighting back doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, like Luthen is kind of pushing him, but the tables are turned in this arc and he ends up being the one. Kino is basically where Cassian has been. He's like, look, you put your head down. There's nothing you can do like they're this there. And, and Cassian is the one that's like, look, they don't care. They're not even thinking about us like we are beneath them. This is our chance. And he basically is the one that kind of radicalizes Kino, like yeah. watching Kino's arc in this three episodes actually is sort of a weird way of watching Cassian's growth, um, which I think is really interesting. The setup of this whole pipe in the bathroom, so brilliant. Like we saw last week that they were all sort of taking turns cutting on it. Didn't know what it was. Were they trying to short out the power? Like we didn't really know. And what was so great about it is even once he did break this pipe and all the water started coming out, I was like, well, are they trying to electrify? Like what? What, what's the, what is this? Like, what's going on? So when it actually happened and you all of a sudden realize that it shorted everything out, you're like, fuck. Like, it's great when something is happening and you're not like five steps ahead. Like you're watching it and you're like, okay, I see, but like, why? Like what? And then as soon as it happens, you're like, that's fucking brilliant. That was great. <laughs> um, just the tension. And uh, somebody on Twitter said this, so I can't take credit for it, but it was really true is that even just like from a sound standpoint, like they did all this intercutting, like like when the new prisoner was coming in yeah. and you saw everybody with the pipes and everything and hiding it, it was silent. 
but they kept intercutting with the pipe and the water burst pipe. So like you would cut from this like very sort of intense sound to the silence and back and forth. And it just helped everything just ratcheted up that tension. Um, and then when they all did finally explode into action, like it was actually thrilling. Yeah. Like watching them rise up and literally rise up. You know I mean? Like they, they kind of went from the, from the fifth level all the way to the top. Uh, you know, so like literally rising up from the bowels of this thing to take over everyone. And then watching Kino kind of make this speech on the loudspeaker again, Cassian is like not the hero. Like he know he knows he's not the guy that's yeah, the one that can actually uh, speak to everybody. He doesn't have any authority. Most people don't know who he is, but he knows that Kino speaking is what's going to make the difference. Uh, and so like kind of pushing him to do it again, just kind of shows this like understanding of how things work. He just, he understands the dynamics of the empire. He understands how they work based on fear. He understands how to like sort of utilize that. Like he kind of takes whatever is given in front of him and just has sort of this instinctual way of knowing what to do, um, which I think is really, really interesting. It sometimes makes him feel like not the most active hero, but when you build to these arcs and you see what he actually accomplishes, it's just, it really works well for what the show is laying out. I am really curious as to like, because it's come up a few times now, climb as a word, as a thing. Interesting. Um, you know, Nemec said it in the Aldani arc, they literally had to climb to get through all of, uh, all of the stars or the, the meteors or whatever it was coming through. It was like, climb, climb. And then here, just climb, climb, like climb out of here. It's time to climb up. And it's like, it's what K2SO says to him in Rogue One near the end. Where he's like, climb. It's like the last thing he says before he dies and gets shot. So I am curious as how this sort of like keeps echoing back. I mean, it's a George Lucas thing. It's all poetry. It rhymes. But why they chose this thing to kind of keep like, and I don't know if it's, you know, climbing out of the shackles of what the empire has done to you climbing up to be at a higher place. I don't know what it is, but it is, it's definitely something that keeps coming up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Shannon, your thoughts on this arc and you know, the work, the, you know, the action, you're the action guy on this cruise. So what do you think about the action, but also Anthony, uh, um, uh, Andy circus's performance, uh, you know, we rarely get to see him kind of get a good plum role to show what he can do in anything. And uh, it was so much fun to see Andy circus, the actor in this. I mean, I'm going to do my best to give my thoughts without bursting into tears nah. because by yeah. the time they make it to the outside of the facility, it is just, brah, you knew, just, didn't you? You knew. just yeah. emotional purge. Um, but it's really interesting. Like I hadn't thought about that when they were taking the sort of the levitating gurney on the floor because yeah. they had left their shift conceivably like they would be going the other way so the fact that they did wheel this guy out um i thought was really was really an interesting choice i mean like you would think like, okay yeah this is like i'm like okay they're just got to take the body out but it's like well no when they come in they're introduced to the the, to the quarters first i thought i mean yeah. maybe i've got my geography off but i thought well, I think- it was I don't think it was them. I think it was the night shift. Like, like they when they mm. rolled him out, it was like there's always somebody working in that room. There's oh, a day right. shift They're and a night shift, quarters. so yeah, yeah. they didn't oh, like okay. wait. So gotcha, like gotcha, they did. Gotcha. I actually, I actually think. I mean, it might have been intimidation, but I actually think, kind of given the overall of Cassian's point, I don't think they care enough about them to intimidate them. Yeah, I think fair. they don't even care. Yeah. I think they just rolled him out because that was the fastest way, and they don't yeah. think about. We it would be respectful for us to not do this, and they don't think, oh, this is going to show them. I think that they think that they have so much power in this situation right. that they actually don't care. Yeah. Um, Andy Circus's performance, just the shell shockedness mm. that he has as Cassian is trying to talk to him, and just again, so much great, so, so many great lines of dialogue in this when Cassian says, "Power doesn't panic." It's like, yeah. oh, that is a oh. great line. And then him yeah. him telling uh Kino, I'd rather I'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving them what they want, which Kino then says over the loudspeaker later. I mean, just such such great such great chemistry between Andy Circus and Diego Luna in that scene. And as Kino is kind of really struggling with what has just transpired, and he's trying to get 
Cassian on program and Cassian sort of delivers that last little bit of informa- information. And then he's the one that tells Kino on program and the framing of the shot where they both have their hands up and you see it the first time Kino is behind Cassian. Mm-hmm. And as they're walking in, just seeing Cassian taking the lead and him telling Kino, like, you're the one that has to say this. They're, they're going to listen to you. And Kino doesn't do it. So Cassian finally starts telling them. And eventually Kino does jump in yeah. and all the inmates shut up. Mm-hmm. And just that, you know, no one is getting out of here. This is this is what this is what is going to happen. So for right now, let's put our heads in our cells and let's figure this out. And the next day, as they are walking, like everyone pretty much is in single file, except for Cassian and Kino, and they are next to each other. And the whole thing where he says, I'm going to assume I'm already dead. Yeah, that <laughs> here, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> knowing knowing he can't swim. Yeah. Like, he's like, I will not, unless there is a ship, <laughs> <laughs> unless there is a ship, we're not, I'm not going to make it out of here. Yeah. So watching how they're able to ratchet up that tension, the little looks up to the second level where you see the Imperials looking down. And again, like, you know, sawing at that pipe, like last week when it happened, I'm like, is he sharpening? Is he sharpening that on the pipe? Like, is this to, is this to make a weapon? It's like, no, we're trying to bust this open. So it will flood the floor. The moment when they're saying, you know, turn the floor on, turn the floor on. And they, they, most of the guys make it up onto the table. And in terms of action, I mean, this is a knockdown drag out fight. Like, the, the inmates are using everything at their disposal, which is essentially blunt objects that they can throw. Yeah. And that is it. I mean, you know, the Imperials have the high ground, but they also, there's less, but they also have blasters. So watching that, watching just the, the, the dynamic nature of that scene, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and this sort of collective struggle that they all have. And as they're slowly getting up, onto the platform and then watching Cassie and able to take the two guys out. It was just, it was just so, so satisfying. And like in my notes, I have three things in a row. Oh my gosh, this, oh my gosh, that, <laughs> I mean, it, the, the speech that Andy circus delivers oh, as you talked, John, um, the way the courage is building, the, the resolve is building in his voice. I thought it was really funny that on the loudspeaker, cause it's a little distorted. I was like, Oh, you kind of sound like Snoke right now. <laughs> um, I see that, people pushing that theory too. It's like, cut it out. Cut I, it out. I, yeah. 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 Well, let's, let, let's, <laughs> let's, let's accept this for the gift that it is that yeah, Andy circus exactly. got another role in star Wars and he absolutely killed it. That shot of the Imperials all ducking behind telling mm-hmm. everybody to be quiet. And then as they make it out, I mean, just the finality in Andy Serkis's face like I like he truly didn't think they would have made it this far so mm-hmm. the moment that he is sort of confronting his fate about uh, this is this is my last stop like I don't get to go on and Cassian wanting to do something trying to think okay what can we do and then he gets knocked into the water um the whole shot of him and Melshi kind of escaping again that's a season finale shot yeah but the totally. fact that we are getting a continuation we're getting that big two-part finale it was just just fantastic. That shot of all of them jumping out, like that overhead yeah. shot of them jumping out of the base. Uh, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, some of the shots in this, you know, there's that shot of uh, Vel and Cinta underneath the water in the Aldani arc really? with like the stars. Of, like there's just a couple shots in this thing that are like beyond gorgeous. Uh, and them all escaping in that overhead shot as we're just watching them pour out was just fantastic yeah i mean i echo both of you's uh, love of this storyline here in this particular uh, episode I, I i just loved the performance that uh, diego luna is doing as well i see so many people commenting online like oh he's the least, he's the least interesting part of andor and it's like, you don't understand what they're doing this is the whole point is to see his progression as he embraces it michael you said it, you just nailed it when you said he is not the guy, but he's the guy to help the guy or help the girl, as we see later in, in Rogue One. He is the best guy, second person you could have there to help you do anything. And him inspiring um, uh, Kino there to speak. Him him being the one that takes out the guards. And by the way, I love it that the guards were able to kill some of these prisoners as it would actually happen. So yeah. I love that that worked that way. And his ruthlessness. He killed when he needed to, and he didn't kill when he didn't think it was necessary. So that tells he's already ingrained as a fighter about what to do in those situations and what it leads to when you're right. I mean, this idea of Andy Serkis 
the idea of Kino taking a moment, it's genius, taking a moment. Because in other, in someone else's hands, Kino gets on that mic and delivers a great speech. And you're like, wow, he really had this in him. The hesitation is genius. It That's real. That makes it feel real. He's embracing this. It, it, like you said, Shen, didn't think he would get that far. In fact, they even got to the front of the mic. It's kind of crazy. And then replacing the person that has been telling him what to do for God knows how long, him now being that person that inspires the prisoners to break these shackles and get out and tells them what to do and embrace it. Just the change in all of that, the fact that he's going to roll with it. And then his look to Kino, I'm sorry, his look to Cassian saying that he can't swim. I mean, dude, yeah, absolutely. Just incredible performance from Andy Circus. So just great stuff. Let's take a quick break here and we'll jump into our next storyline uh, right after this. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. We don't have time for that. Let's go. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to Kurazan here. Let's talk about the Mon Mothma situation. We meet uh, David Scunlin, Dabo Scunlin, sorry, who arrives at her place uh, with Takeoma there. Uh, he talks about having seen the place 30 years ago with his boss at the time. They have a, a little bit of a banter, Mon Mothma and Dabo, about uh, discussing the old versus new traditions. Dabo saying he appreciates the new um, and that, uh, you know, that's the perks of having a lot of money. You don't have to be told what to do or follow what people think. Uh, Dabo compliments Mon Mothma on her directness. Uh, Dabo says she's met Perrin. He says he's met Perrin several times. That was my my red flags went like, like right there when he said that. Dabo then said, talks about the old ways in talking about their marriage, their arranged marriage between Mon Mothma and Perrin and how they have discussing my mouth was saying that it's it has values the old ways um and he said he just prefers the new then they discussed the banking situation dava wants mon mothma to tell him what he needs even though he's already talked about it with Tacoma. dava reveals how big his company's gotten how they can make this thing work she, she wants to discuss a fee and he says oh no, no no there won't be any money here i don't need money money means nothing to me he wants to arrange a meeting between his 14 year old son and Mon Mothma's daughter, Leda, hoping they hit it off. He says he's not talking about betrothal, but it certainly seems to be his attention in my mind. Ma- and, and says he wants to do this meeting. Mon is left a little bit shaken by this. She turns him down and says, and he says, well, think about it. And she says, I'm not going to think about it. And he says, wow, that's the first untrue thing you've said in our entire meeting. And walks off and we see Genevieve O'Reilly do this fantastic thing that she's done before. This kind of measured breathing in and being a little shaken about what she's just experienced. Yet again, understanding what the cost is for her to keep going down this path of rebellion and where she's going to end up overall. So Shannon, thoughts on this entire scene here and what we got between these two and this ending here where he's essentially not saying it, but he's implying that he wants to marry his son off into a respected family here, considering that Mon Mothma called him a thug in the last episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, Richard Delane, who plays uh, so Davo Skolden, like, fantastic, fantastic actor. And you can sense, like, the whole talk about, his talk of, you know, I like the new. Like, uh, immediately, I think I like The Great Gatsby. Like, he's he, this guy's new money. And there yeah. is a difference between the accent that he has versus the accent that Mon Mothma and Tay have. Like, they have that very refined standard kind of british accent where he it's his is a little more blue collar it's not Mm -hmm. it's not cockney but i mean it 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 has a harder edge to it and watching sort of this verbal chess match that that's happening is really really great i mean genevieve o'reilly like the whole thing is like oh yeah i heard I, i heard you were direct i mean she is she is brilliant at playing her cards keeping her cards uh close to her vest like not betraying anything and every time he he tries to get her to talk about personal matters like is that an avenue we're not going down no (laughs) i mean just a really really great performance 
But when he says he doesn't want a fee, like I immediately thought of Tom Wilkinson in Batman Begins, where he's like, hey, money isn't as interesting to me as favors. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, this guy is very much like the uh, Shandrillin, Shandrillin gangster. And even though like he, he doesn't, he likes the new stuff, the idea that he would be able to use his child, like wep- weaponizing a marriage, essentially. I was just, I wrote down, I'm like, oh, we're getting a little Game of Thronesy here. So this is uh, this idea that he's like, okay, I, through marriage, I am now connected to the elite of the elite. I am now, I'm, I'm, I'm a for real guy. I'm no longer this, you know, this, you know, backroom dealer. I'm now, I'm now one of, one of you. And he had a great line of dialogue when he says our positions sometimes make decisions for us. And it was just like, oh, that is so fantastic. And again, getting Mon Mothma into this position where we've seen what a good dealer she is, how she does have kind of that icy edge. But now to take the rebellion possibly to the next level, the thing that she would have to sacrifice is her daughter essentially like oh my gosh just really really great stuff whereas luther would have sold his daughter off already uh uh, uh michael your thoughts here on this whole scene between them uh and this really kind of skeevy ending where he's essentially trying to legitimize his family kind of like michael corleone and the godfather we've seen in other other uh films before we see these gangsters who want to kind of walk into the because they don't see a difference they just think it's all fake this idea that they're somehow higher than he is because uh, they're the ones coming to him for money in this situation so what did you think about this entire scene and what it implies i mean yeah i mean i think shannon said it best when he said it was just like a verbal chess match mm. I mean, it was just kind of really th- i mean it's amazing writing it's two amazing well it's three amazing actors kind of uh working with amazing material so you know you have these people come in and the actual words that they are saying are not the thing that they are actually saying. And everybody is aware of it, but there is just a level of civility and politeness that has to exist for these people to even be in the same room with each other. And yet at the same time, everything that's said is said for a purpose. You know, when he was like, oh, well, you know, that's the thing about money. You don't have to really uh, worry about people's opinions. He's basically like, I'm rich and I might be dirty, but I have enough money that you got me here. So fuck you, you You know, and like, like, yeah. And like, and like, even when he keeps bringing up like her husband with Perrin and knowing him, and I think she even has a really great dig where she's like, well, that's not surprising. Like, you know, the fact that he's met Perrin, you're like, yeah, okay, of course you have. But, uh, but, you know, even bringing up like, well, the arranged marriage and how there's a lot of benefits to arranged marriage. And then when you get to the end of the scene, you're like, oh, he was teeing her up this whole time. Like Mm -hmm. he came in, like, it's not like he, when you go back and you rewatch the scene, it's not like let's, let's have a Chandrillan betrothal comes out of left field. Like he talks about it a good bit earlier on in the scene. And then just the sort of, you know, where he's like, even when, when Tay is like, you know, the, the Senator is very busy where he's just like kind of get on with it let's let's get to it you know like just every single bit of this is just these people all maneuvering around with each other until he drops the i'd like to come for a visit with my son and then that's the first time genevieve o'reilly has that mon mothma mask on the whole time it's sort of the smile it's polite i'm clearly just barely tolerating you but i do (laughs) but i'm gonna smile doing it until he drops that and you just see her eyes widen and she is like, you can't be serious. Like she's like, absolutely not like just yeah. ends everything. But then he's still like, when he turns and he's like, that's the first untrue thing you've said. He was like, he was like, you're thinking about it. Yeah. You're he, he kind of by, by saying that's the first untrue thing that you've said, he basically says you're fucked. I know that you wouldn't even have come to me unless you weren't fucked yeah you're really fucked i might be your only solution so you can pretend what you want to pretend but you're absolutely considering this because that's how fucked you are and that that sort of breathing that she does when he walks out of the room is her going i'm fucked Like that's what's happening. And so yeah. it really was, and we'll get to it more when um, cannot didn't see your tweets, but 
cannot wait to hear what you have to say about Luthen. Mm. But I do think that what you have between what happens with Luthen in the next scene and kind of what he says and what you have with Mon Mothma here is you do have like these two sides of, I think you will see what the, we'll see where the series goes with the mm. season finale and into season two. But I kind of like, these are the two, like, I don't think that the rebel Alliance works without both sides of this. Mm. Luthen basically is like, I've already basically agreed with the fact that I'm a horrible person and I've had to do horrible things and I'm going to hell and that's what it takes. And Mon Mothma is, I have these ideals and I don't want to have to, uh, I don't want to have to break any of my ethics, my morals, my ideals. She doesn't want to corrupt them. I don't want to corrupt, I don't want to corrupt them, but she's finding it really hard to do. And so, kind of see knowing that Mon Mothma is ultimately the one that's going to kind of like kind of bring you know lead everything it's just really interesting to see both of these scenes sort of juxtaposed next to each other in one episode yeah agreed with you on that yeah I loved I love this scene I agree with you all the writing here is so good the ping-ponging back and forth all three of them uh you know and you see Richard Delane has this has this relaxed confidence you know you've seen other thugs walking into you know kind of uh, have these interactions and they're more aggressive they're more down on the street this guy is he's done this before he's had senators come to him i imagine in his past and he's learned no no favors is the way to go that's the real value here money's irrelevant to him so this is his way of making this all happen so i i think it's a fantastic and the parent thing don't overlook this thing i have a feeling that he, he floated this by parent first and Perrin creating maybe some division between uh, 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 Leda and her mom is a way of making it seem as if, you know, he's got her best interests at heart. And a dad is always worried about her daughter's security. But also, this is a way for Perrin to stay in the money in case anything happens to Mon Mothma marrying his daughter off. He's a skeevy son of a bitch like that. So I got no, I got no surprises that Perrin has probably been saying this to him and paying people. been like, you got to run it by. If, if Mon agrees, then we're down. Let's make this marriage happen. I have no doubt the parent has absolutely had this conversation. I don't know that these two guys yeah. are chatting on the on the hollow net every night. Like I don't know that, that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, all right, so quick break. We'll jump into that Luthan storyline that Michael was teasing right after this. Exactly. All right, let's get into it. All right, here we go. Luthan. Um, we cut to well. First, we got to start with the uh, Deidre situation. We hear the Krieger's men took the bait and they were bringing the ship in. That was from the last episode. Part uh, uh, Lonnie is there, one of the ISB guys. Partagas comes in. She reads the communique about the pilot's condition from Krieger's people. Lonnie suggests they should do what they normally do and take a look. Deidre walks out after Partagas agrees with Lonnie. I don't know if that's anger or jealousy or having a man come in and take a woman's. Uh, idea. I don't know what that is, but she storms out there after Lonnie kind of convinces Partagas to do that. But we cut to a scene where Luthen is getting a call, or Clay comes in to tell him that Luthen has got a call here, that a mark was left on the fountain, a rail is broken, someone wants a meeting with Luthen, which Clay does not like. He says, no, I gotta take this meeting. It's been a year since we heard from this person. We cut to Lonnie walking through the underworld of Coruscant, so latest Empire person and possibly switch over to be part of the rebellion. He gets an ele- elevator, puts in an earpiece, Luthen talks to him and mentions the dude's daughter right off the bat to maybe kind of intimidate this guy. So you think maybe he there they've kind of turned this person because they've they've got some goods on him or they've got some information on him. La, but then Lonnie tells him about Deidre and her and uh, and about the suspicions about Axis and Aldani, what she's doing on Ferrix. Luthen says this is good, and for Lonnie to encourage it, claims he has nothing to do with Aldani. He wants to know why the real reason why Lonnie is there. It tells them about a rebel pilot, that whole staging there for Krieger. And then Luthen said, and he wants Luthen, he wants Luthen to warn these people so they don't die. But Luthen says it's worth it to lose 50 men to keep his access to Lonnie. Luthen does. He arrives on the floor. Luthen is standing there looking like a Sith Lord with his uh, a jacket waving in the wind on a, on a walkway there. And Lonnie says he can't do it anymore. He has a father. He doesn't want to do it anymore. Luthen reminds him of his vow. He says he kept his vow by doing this as an inside man for six years. So now we discover he's essentially Donnie Brasco. He has been in, he's infiltrated the empire as an undercover agent for the rebellion. He's moved up over the last six years. And Luthen says he can't let Lonnie go. And he rose up because the information he gave him tells him that he's trapped. And Lonnie says, well, what have you sacrificed? And Luthen goes on about, about how he's sacrificed his calmness, kinship, kindness, love, inner peace, uh, that he's been doing this for 15 years. He's been compelled to do it and called to do it. 
and he is condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. And he goes on about all that he's lost and for Lonnie to stay with him because he needs all the heroes he can get. All right, Mike, take it away on this one. Well, I mean, before, no, I mean, I think for this one, I'm really curious. Uh, like I said, I did not get the benefit of uh, checking my uh, outlaw Twitter previously, but uh, yeah. where well, where are you on this? I'm curious. Give us a little sneak peek on your Twitters. Well, if you had muted my account, you'd be seeing the tweet. Uh, listen, this is the thing that I will tell you right off the bat. I, I, I love this whole thing with Lonnie and uh, Luthen. It's a great twist. You wondered who it was going to be. He looks like such a guy who looks out of place and can't do the job. We've seen him in a number of episodes already, and, and Deidre is clearly uh, better than him at his job. But well, I wonder if this is an act to look kind of semi-incompetent but so that it doesn't – so there isn't too much uh, emphasis placed on him, but he's still in Partagas's, uh purview. To have him be the one that twists, that turns rather, or is an inside man, that's a great twist to see in the episode. The back and forth with him on the elevator made it seem as if they've got some goods on him. But then when we get to the walkway, now we hear about him being in some The fact that Luthen is essentially giving him the mafia speech, you can't get out once you take them out to be a part of the mafia. There's no way getting out. He's essentially saying, we will kill you if you try to leave, or we'll kill your daughter, or we'll kill your wife. You've made this decision. And then he... He kisses his own ass. I've sacrificed all these things and 50 men. He kills no problem. These people who feel compelled or called to follow their cause and think they have the eye on the bigger picture, but you know, have no problem sacrificing other people's lives, but somehow miraculously stay alive themselves conveniently is a very interesting thing to consider. Now, do I think he's wrong? No, but the casualness of his, acceptance of collateral damage while he stays alive there's an arrogance to that that rubs me the wrong way that's my overall thought on it that being said great scenes very well written and it makes me even more interested to see what we're going to get from luthan going forward that's my two cents i mean here's what i and it's so funny i mean i don't like i, I don't necessarily disagree with anything you're saying but mm. a couple things one i think that and this came up previously with luthan um like I don't know that it's casual so much as it's calculated. Like he is not wrong in what he says. If sure. he if he went and told Krieger and his men, you've been made pull out, Deidre Miro, who we discussed last week, is a straight up imperial genius, yeah. would be like, they knew what we were doing. We have a Somebody mole. here, we yeah. have a mole. Yeah. So he's not wrong in that having that person at the ISB, being able to feed him the information of what's going on in there, if they are going to defeat the empire, is worth its weight in gold or people. Like, it's cold-hearted. It That's is calculated. I mean. It is It is just, like, it's dark. But he's not wrong. And then I think his speech, where you felt that it was very sort of arrogant and grandstanding, I think it was straight up honest. Like what he's saying here is he's given up everything. Like there's a future there. Like, I think I don't remember the exact wording, but he says something about like the sun is going to rise. Like hopefully what he does means the sun rises for somebody, but it's not him. Like he, I, I think that he agrees with you. I think that he thinks that he has become a cold, heartless piece of shit person, mm. but he believes that that's what it takes to defeat the empire. You can't be a warm, fuzzy person that keeps everybody safe and defeat the empire. Like sacrifices are going to have to get made. Things are going to have to happen. And what I, and again, what I said, like, this is the flip side of the Mon Mothma side of things. Like, I think that where I think you're right is if everybody in the rebellion was, uh, was a Luthan, then you would just replace the empire with an empire. Yes. But if everybody in the rebellion was a Mon Mothma, we never would have had Aldani. Maybe not. Yeah, would she wouldn't have pulled the trigger. The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's interesting is that as we build this rebel alliance, you are, there's all these factions. I mean, that's what, like, that's the, Saw, Saw Guerrero won't work with anybody who's not pure like he is. Mon Mothma is, you know, really nervous about this entire thing, doesn't want Vel to get in too deep, like, doesn't want to dirty her hands talking to gangsters. And Luthen is literally in the bowels of hell, like, I mean, I don't, I don't think any of us have ever seen that deep into Coruscant. Yeah, yeah, right. Standing the there literally in hell. And I think you're not wrong, like looking like a Sith Lord. He's standing in this long, dark corridor 
with, again, no railings because yeah. it's Star Wars and I guess everybody just doesn't need a railing. It scares the shit out of me. Um, with his long robe flowing, and I think sort of the parallel to him being very uh, Sith Lordy in that moment. Like, Luthen doesn't think he's a good guy. He thinks he's a necessary guy. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts on this? Uh, terrific, terrific scenes. Yeah. Um, the whole idea, the, the whole Donnie Brasco uh, comparison, I think is very, very appropriate. Um, like, uh, where Luthen is right now, I think, I think they're... I think they're different, but Wait, I, think... I just want to see part of us go. Don't tell him nothing, Lonnie. Don't tell him nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Davos Golden and Luthen are probably very, very similar right now. Mm. Um, I think I think they obviously want different things. That Davos Golden is one hundred percent egocentric, and he's just concerned about like his his uh, his progression in society. But I think the the actions that he will take, it's it's literally the same thing that that Luthen did, basically saying, like, you don't you don't have an option here. Um, I loved when Lonnie put in that earpiece and he says, hey, congrats on being a father. Like, it's just so it's yeah, exactly. Just turning, turning the screws yeah. and. It, it it's so sopranos like yeah. like you're like no i'm no i'm really happy for him. i mean just the him calling him lonnie as well like he's been he's been supervisor young to us yeah, this whole right, series and the fact that he's sitting there calling him lonnie oh lonnie no 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 but as vogel said everything he's saying is right he's just like look you're a hero like he he's he's trying to get around he's trying to do it the right way the the not the right way the nice way like you're a hero i can't i can't let you go and then by the end where he's just like look there's no you you will never you will never get out of this life you took a vow you are too you are too valuable um just really really terrific work and just from a design standpoint like a like a hair and makeup design standpoint Mm. i love how this show links up to a new hope that especially a lot of the imperials they have sort of that 70s vibe this guy's got that thin mustache but he's got the he's got the chops he's got the longer hair even for like an imperial like you know you would think of a little more you know kind of uh, cut and dry like you know crisp collar which they all have but they still have that little bit of 70s yeah. in them that i think visually links up to the uh, original trilogy really really nicely yeah this again i can't stress it enough very well written very well before anybody goes off on the comics uh, comments i i understand why he's essential in the rebellion and he and he's a great character and i enjoy the character but i can have my feelings about how the character administers what he thinks is the right way to go about doing this in the bigger picture and the how willingly he is to sacrifice other people um and you're right mike he's probably corroded from the inside out which is why he can't be the one that takes over uh when the rebellion goes down because we've seen many revolutions in historical time where the people doing the revolutions become the people they were um, Mm -hmm. fighting against. And so it was a great point you brought up for sure, Michael, but this is all just such great stuff. Very rich, rich stuff to see for sure. Uh, I do think think it's funny though. I do think it's funny real quick. Like, and this just makes me, because again, I think you make really good points, but I think it's funny. You're like, this is what I want. This is dark and gritty star Wars. This is real. This (laughs) is grounded. And then you're like, but that is some bullshit that he let those 50 people die. <laughs> that is not okay. Look, I, I want everybody saved. No man left behind. No man left behind. That's a military thing, man. Look, I, I love Sopranos, but when Tony messed with Janice after she'd gone to the therapist, I hated the shit out of him for a long time. So well, that's part of loving that. These it's funny with Luthen, because I was thinking about it. Like what I love, and I mean, like I love Battlestar Galactica. Mm. Uh, on sci-fi and one of the reasons I love it is look I love Star Trek and I love that Star Trek is like hey we gotta save everybody we're not gonna leave unless every single person is aspirational and then Battlestar Galactica came along and in that first not even though it's like years old I'm not gonna spoil it but like you know like but like some of those main characters in those very early episodes when the Cylons attacked they made some hard choices yeah true they made hard choices that like Kirk or Picard would never have made. They would have been like, the line must be drawn here. And they were like, look, we got to go. These people can die. Don't know what to tell you. And I and what I loved that with Battlestar Galactica because it was like, look, it, we all want to save everybody, but like that's real. And so I think what I'm, again, what I'm loving about this is I love that, that Leia would never leave anybody behind and that Leia would do whatever she needs to do to save everyone because she's Leia and that's how Leia rolls. 
And I love Mon Mothma because Mon Mothma does have these principles and I think is going to figure out how to navigate things and how to do this the right way. And that's why she ends up being the face of the rebellion. But I love that there's a Luthan. Yeah. I love that there's that guy that is saying the shit that as you're sitting there, you're like, is it cool that somebody in the rebellion let 50 other rebels go into something knowing that the empire was going to kill him? Not cool, but it might be necessary. I hope they're lining up to him sacrificing himself at some point down the road. Uh, Shannon, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, just, just a really, really excellent show. Missing Deidre. We only got a little bit of Deidre this week, but I imagine she will be heavily involved with the next two. You know what? You're not missing her as much as Cyril is. Ah! Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and we didn't have a scene of Cinta. Marva is condition is getting worse. Uh, we're not going to uh, Marva's condition is getting worse, but Cinta is watching. So that's also going to come into play. I, I think over these next two. Well, episodes. and the empire is watching. Like, the I think the only, the, like the two important things about that, just so we know is like setting it up. Like yeah. Marva's getting sick. Yes. Worse. And I think Cassian will be coming back for her. Yeah. And when Cassian comes back, you got Cinta waiting in the wings, waiting, ready to just kill anybody. And you've got the Empire watching. Yeah. And you've got everyone else on Ferrix just under the thumb of the stormtroopers and the Imperial presence there. So and that's blaming, just, and blaming Cassian. And blaming Cassian for it. Yeah. So I you know, I'll be it'll be curious to see what the next two episodes are, but Ferrix is definitely a powder keg right now. Yeah, absolutely. Can't, we can't wait. We're definitely gonna cover it for sure. Laura Kelly couldn't make it for this episode but she will be back for the uh, two episodes here for the finales uh, so it's gonna be a lot of fun to have her back on the show for those two episodes for sure thanks so much for watching this spoiler review episode of Andor. shannon what do we have to tell them yeah i'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter it's at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy if you would like to follow mr vogel it's at mk2 and if you'd like to follow mr roca it's at the roca says that's right mikey um, if you like prison breaks, rebellions, and uh, apparently Battlestar Galactica and The Sopranos, we've got it all for you right here on The Geek Buddies. Uh, and here's what you guys can do for us so that we can continue doing what we do. Uh, hit that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Leave your comments below. What did you think of this episode? What have you thought of Andor as a whole? And where do you think things are going? What do you want to see in the next two episodes as we build to the finale of season one? Let us know. Uh, if you are listening to us on a podcast, definitely leave us some stars. Leave us some comments so we go up in the rankings so more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. Oh, and of course, big shout out to Carbon Health, who continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies. Head over to CarbonHealth.com for any healthcare questions, concerns, or needs, or download the app to have a doc in your pocket on the go when those concerns pop up. All right, take care of yourselves. Be well. We'll talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode here from the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.